Thank you, Jesus. Well, guys, I want to jump into this. I know I've got a certain amount of time. We're going to go a lot of places. But I want to ask us today, as I asked people yesterday, does this day, does this moment, does everything that's happened in your life and what's going to happen, does it matter? Every second of every day, yesterday, we were at a huge rehab center in the mission. And I was asking them this question for the purpose of saying, do you know Jesus? Do you understand who the person of Jesus is in your life? But for you and I today, maybe if you don't know Him, you need to simply consider, who is the person of Jesus to you? Is it your grandparents' faith? Is it your parents' faith? Is that Bible that you struggle to bring in the church as it's thick today? Is that the Jesus you believe in? But for the rest of us, I want us to ask the question, what is the gospel to us? Why are we in the house of God? Why do we gather together? Yes, we're worshiping Him, but what does it mean to walk out the gospel? Because for me, being raised where I was, I just threw Jesus and the church and Mary in with things like Sasquatch and Bigfoot and aliens because I didn't know any different. I had no clue about God. And while some of you are sitting there and saying, well, pastor, fair enough, I'll ask who the person of Jesus is, or I'll ask myself, what do I think about the gospel? Not that I'm a prophet, but I believe I know what some of you are thinking. Man, this guy sounds strange, and he sure is speaking with a what? Accent. If I don't tell you this, you will listen to nothing else that I say all day. I am not speaking with an accent. You are all a bunch of Americans trying to speak what language? English. English. I am simply speaking the truth, Lord. Set them free. Amen. But my story in a nutshell to help some of you to see what God did was I grew up in a place called Liverpool, England, home of the Beatles. My mother used to watch the Beatles right there in the cavern. And to unpack my story, I would have fled from a place like this. Growing up in Liverpool, England, I never spent one day inside of a church. Say church. church. Not church. Say it in tongues. Church. Put an E in it. There we go. Here's the interpretation. I was raised in Liverpool, England, five doors down from a humongous Catholic church. And I spent so many hours there, not in the building, out on the field playing this sport where you take your foot in a ball and when you kick it, what's it called? Football. Amen. I grew up playing football. I grew up doing martial arts. And I couldn't care less, sadly, about the person of Jesus. I didn't even know what the term gospel meant. And so there I am as a kid with book teeth and a funny haircut. And yes, a funny sounding Scouse accent back in the day. Now more Americanized. I live in California. But of all the time I spent in that church, I never heard about God. Yes, I never went to a service, but no one ever stopped me and said, do you know what life is about? Instead, my life took a different direction where at the age of 13, almost, and some of you will remember this film, Police Academy 4, Amen. Mahoney and Hightower, I watched this film, and what was in this film? Skateboarding. I didn't know what skateboarding was. Jumping over trash cans, grinding this and grinding that. I say that because I watched that movie thinking it was all Hollywood, and a few weeks later, I made my first trip to America. My sisters were nannies of all places. Where? In New Jersey. In New Anyone from New Jersey here? No one? I got some Jersey pride. I came to New Jersey. I fell in love with America. I wanted to move here. But while in New Jersey, on my 13th birthday, I watched a guy riding down the boardwalk. And what did he do? He popped an ollie, which pretty much means you levitate. Amen? I watched that guy do it. I fell in love with skating. I didn't know anything about God. And I said, that's what I want to do the rest of my life. That became my dream. And how many of you guys have big dreams? Five of you, yes. Well, my dream was to skate. And picture being a kid from Liverpool who couldn't care less about God. My life becomes all about skating. And what happens? Within a year or two of jumping down stairs and handrails and getting in some magazines and videos, I get a phone call from the most famous skateboarder ever. What's his name? Tony Hawk saying, do you want to come and live in America? Picture your dream or your goal. I didn't really have a plan. Liverpool was rough, it was violent, it was crazy in some ways, a lot of fights. And here I am as a kid trying to get out of trouble while my friends are starting you know, take acid and get high and do crazy stuff. I found skating, fell in love with it. And now I was about to travel all the way to America, yes to California, where it's way more sunnier than this. I've never even seen snow in California, amen. I'm enjoying being out here with you guys. The fish and chips are amazing, amen. Reminding me of home. 
But there I am in California, finished school, went to art school for a second, I'm invited to America, I'm starting to make money. But what does the Bible say? What does it benefit man if he gains what? The whole world but loses his soul. And that's what I was about to gain. All I cared about was skating. The magazines were my Bible. The videos were my religion. That was it. And I was living the American dream. Life was good. And suddenly skateboarding blew up. And I'm saying this because all of you with cousins or sons and daughters, grandkids, call them up and tell them to go follow me online so I can preach to them about Jesus. Amen? I came over here not knowing a thing about God. Skating blows up. And listen, Tony Hawk, just, it got so huge. A couple of hundred dollars a month. A couple of thousand dollars a month. Imagine being 17, 18, getting 10 or 20 or 30,000 dollars a month because skating is so big. I didn't need God. I didn't need church. And there wasn't this pride. It was just, I just love to skate. But finally at the age of 19, I fell in love. And who do you think I fell in love with? A Christian girl, she was not a Christian girl, I had not fallen in love with God. I fell in love with a girl from California who, listen to what she did. She drove on the wrong side of the road. How crazy is that? She spoke with an accent somewhat like you guys, and she dared to call football soccer. We fell madly in love. I'd fallen in love with skating, now with this girl, and we were together for the whole of four months. Can you believe that? Madly in love. I loved the way she looked, the way she made me feel, all the things she did for me. So as I spoke at the marriage night, who did I really love? Myself. I love what she did for me, and she loved what I did for her. We didn't know God. We didn't have a clue. I was in the magazines. Money was coming in. Life seemed so good. So after only being together for four months, I said, Babe, why don't we just not tell our family, because our families are crazy and they'll probably kill us. Amen? Do you want to drive out to Vegas tomorrow night? get married, and she's a crazy American, and she said, I will. We drove out there, we got married, and we lived happily ever after. Amen. Can someone say responsibility? I did not know what that meant. Now I'm married, now I have this beautiful son on the way, life's all good, and what do we begin to do? You put two sinners together, and what begins to happen? Craziness. I told him the other night, the best marriage advice I ever heard was, would you marry yourself? You laugh. But then think about it. Because if you would, you've got more issues than you know. Amen? We were together for a year or two. We began to fight. There began to be issues. We didn't know the Lord. And within just two or three years, Brian the skateboarder who had life all figured out was divorced and angry and mad. I was overliving. I'd made it to California. There'd never been this much of a challenge in my life. I looked up and said, God, I'm going to prove that you're not real because if you're not real, life doesn't matter. If I'm just time plus chance plus matter, as Ravi Zacharias so often says, then I'm just roadkill. But if you're real, why is life like this? I'd never really asked these questions. I liked philosophy. I was very into Bruce Lee and thinking about all this Eastern mysticism, but I never really knew what life was about. That's what I asked them yesterday. Does this day matter? Does the person of Jesus matter? Not because your parents dragged you to church, but who is He to you? And picture being a suicidal skateboarder who was depressed because I wanted life to be so perfect with the OCD and being a perfectionist and opening up the Bible to the very first page. And what does God say in Genesis 1? If you were looking for the meaning of life and who you are, your identity, this is it. God says, let us make man in our image. The dog isn't, the cat isn't. No, they don't have souls like you and I, but you and I are made in the image of God. And my next question made a lot of sense. Well, if you're made in your image, God, why does life suck? Why am I divorced? Why aren't you the genie, God, who just snaps your fingers? Why am I fighting with this woman who has no clue about life and I have everything figured out? As I've said all weekend, what God said, Brian, I put your parents, your great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And I gave them every single thing they need. In fact, it was all that they needed. But I told them, there's just one thing I don't want you to do. Because in the day you do it, you will surely die. God didn't kill no one. But in the day they would eat of the what? Tree. They would surely die. And all of us, if we're honest, as much as you want to kick Adam in the shin or tell Eve off, we would all have ran over to that tree and took selfies with it and photos with it. And we're still about the tree in many ways today. Amen. The flesh is very real. Am I preaching to someone? God tells us this, and for the first time, doesn't wait a minute, are you saying we all die because of sin? Well, yes. Well, God, if you're so good, why didn't you change this? Well, Brian, keep reading the book. As I began to read the book, trying to disprove it, 
getting into some trouble for skateboarding, getting in a few too many fights, getting on probation and community service in a Christian thrift store. How funny is that? I had to go to a Christian thrift store for seven weeks, and I walk in, and Hank Williams, I saw the light, is playing. God, you have a sense of humor. Amen? I get more hours if I read The Purpose Driven Life and The Case for Christ, which I did, and God was beginning to deal with me. But as I was trying to disprove this book that we take for granted, that in other nations you can be killed for having, reading this for the first time, I saw how God began to speak to a man called Abraham. Through you, Abraham, I'll bless the world because a Messiah will come. He began to speak to the prophets and the priests and the kings, and he got to a part I didn't really like. I don't know that any of us does. Exodus 20, what's it about? The ten what? Commandments. Commandments. Thou shalt not... There's so many, right? Thou shalt not lie. You ever told a lie? If you're not raising your hand right now, what are we all doing? I'd never heard this. You're saying I'm a liar, God? How dare you? I help people across the road. I love animals. I share my candy. No, Brian, you're not getting it. And I made this joke the other day, and it's so funny. Picture being a vegan like my wife and I were, and I was way, way skinnier than this at the time. Amen? Why are you guys laughing? Picture being a vegan back then, and listen, you might never thought this, and reading the Old Testament. Every year, because we're all really bad, the high priest has to go back there behind the veil and shred to pieces this innocent lamb. I was like, God, this is barbaric. Every year you put your hands on the goat and place it outside the city. What is this all about? Ritual after ritual after ritual. God, what are you trying to show me? And finally you get to the New Testament and what do we see? John the Baptist pointing to his cousin Jesus and he says, Behold. Behold what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the will. You guys can preach with me. Amen. We want to get preaching in here and take it out into the streets. Behold, Brian, the Lamb of God. Wait a minute. Are you saying for thousands of years you were speaking about a coming Savior called Jesus who would atone for our sins once and for all? Now you're getting it, Brian. Are you saying that he died outside the city like the scapegoat where the priest laid his hands on the goat? It was taken away with our sin. That's where Jesus died. Are you saying that when death came down, they put blood over the doorpost? It covers my sin? Yes, but here was the problem. I was beginning to hear about God. I was reading in the Hebrew, reading in the Greek, challenging professors and priests and rabbis and all these different faiths, and I knew all about God. But you know who I didn't yet know? God. I'd never been forgiven. I didn't want to live. I was still angry. There was no joy. There was no peace. There was still Brian, still making money. Life was good, fighting with this woman. And I was going to buy a house at the time, our first house, thinking I'll buy it, and they can live in it. And you know what? By the time of five and six, by the time my son's that age, if life isn't good, I can just take my life anyway. What's the big deal? I hadn't had a revelation of the living God. I hadn't encountered the God that we are all singing about with cheering here today. Amen. And I hope you know the God I'm talking about. Not the God who gives you joy because your life makes sense and everything's perfect. The God who gives you joy when life does not make any sense because we're living in a fallen and cursed world where we don't belong. Amen? Coming home from church one night after hearing that, hearing a message, I realized I was going to God to fix my life. But God was coming to me to tell me I was dead in sin. We don't want to hear that. Heaven and hell are real. I don't believe that. It doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is that God is God and you are not and we need to listen. Amen? And as I got down on my knees coming home from church that day, on my knees before God, I said, God, I've been coming to you for all the wrong reasons. I'm mad at this woman. She's mad at me. I'm done with this. But God, I need forgiveness. God was beginning to open my heart and show me and leading me unto Himself. And right there I said, God, I lay down my life. Here's my skating, which is obviously an idol. Not intentionally. This is just what I sacrifice to. This object of wood and steel and whatever else it may be, it's all about me. I lay down my life, God. I'll give you my skating. I'll get baptized. If you want, I'm even willing, I think, to remarry this woman. Not because of her. Not because of me. Because we had no clue. And it was as radical as this. Like sitting on the front row. Spending 40 or so minutes pressing into God. It was like he entered that room. And at that moment, remember when you knew that you knew that you knew? And you just knew that was it. I don't know how it happened, but that was the moment. And whatever you say, guys, you have a testimony. You don't have to be as radical as my story was. The fact that you and I are dead in sin, born into a cursed world, and God so loved the world, that's all the testimony you need. That's more radical than my story, amen? 
And right there, God met me, invaded my life, began to speak. And I sat there laughing and crying. And I've been laughing and crying ever since. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God is good. I don't know if we have a photo maybe you can put on the screen right now if we had it in the notes, but I woke up the next day telling my ex-wife, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus and we're going to live like this and we're going to live like that. And she says, you're crazy. You're not even Catholic. You don't even have a Bible. You haven't baptized a child. I said, babe, we're good to go. I'm going to go follow the Lord. Within three weeks of being frustrated and mad, she came to faith in a church when the pastor read her mail and said, you need to come to faith today. A guest speaker who had never seen us from anyone else in the church. 400 people, amen. We were remarried in just a few months, and today my son is up and early going to help serve in the youth group. He's almost 19, amen. My daughter's 11. Eden Avery Sumner's 11. How's that for a biblical name? Shouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for Jesus. And my son Jude Micah, who's eight, these guys wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. And we can say, Lord, thank you so much for this funny-sounding skateboarder and his story, and let's go out and eat and get on with our day. Is that all it is? No. God did a mighty work in my life. And he did a mighty work in your life, and if he hasn't yet, he's going to. This is a few years ago, but... That's like probably the most recent photo I have over here, but that's my son when he's about 15. They today are all walking with the Lord, and these two right here would not be alive if it wasn't for Jesus. Amen? Amen. When you go to a school and you're sharing, and the kids are looking at you funny, and then you ask your son, your youngest son, to skate over to you, and these college-age kids begin to realize how tangible God is, what an amazing God it is that we serve. Amen? That is all a testimony to His glory, but here's the reality to focus in on where we want to go. For me, though, what if God didn't restore my marriage? What if all of this didn't work out this way? Is God still good or not? Yes, He's good. It just happened that this is the way God worked in it, and we say, well, good, Brian, God restored your marriage, but what are we doing here? And He's going to ask us today, how crazy is that a guy from Liverpool, England, who lived there for 15 years, never really heard the gospel, and then lived in California... I never really heard the gospel until around the age of 24. Did we lose track of the gospel? Did the gospel change? Did we get comfortable coming in and out of church? And I get it, life is busy. But what does it mean to really walk out the gospel, to live out the gospel? And sitting with your pastor this week, just hearing his heart and his vision, the way God's speaking, I'm so excited for what God is going to begin to do in this church. Amen. I'm excited today I get to go into this topic where I am. But think about it. In our life, there's a way that we live, and we should live this way as Christians. As your pastor, he would tell all of you, pray for where you're going to live. Pray for where you're going to, who you're going to marry. Pray for what your profession is. And we should pray for all those things. But you know there's one thing that we never actually ask to pray if we're meant to do this? It's to what? Share the gospel. We never need to ask that question. Listen, my week gets crazy. Sometimes I'm fighting with my wife like I used to do. Sometimes the bills are showing up or the kids are crazy. I'm like, Lord, why don't you just rapture me right now like Enoch and Elijah? Amen? But God says, no, Brian. I left you here Sunday morning early in the snow with my family. I brought them in here for a reason. I gave these verses in the Bible so you can hear and you can help me populate where? Heaven. All of us are called to live out the gospel, not just hang out, to hear the gospel today, to take it out through those doors and begin to push it out to those that we love. And even right now, those you may not love around you. Amen? That's the purpose. I mean, Jesus said things like, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And as the Father has sent me, so I what? Send you. With this in mind, if you have your Bibles, they'll be on the screen. I'm going to go pretty fast. But go over to Matthew 4. If you're a note-taker, do that. But sometimes they say, you know what? It's sometimes better just to sit in here and receive and get the sermon after. But this is what Jesus does. He shows up to his first believers. I want us to ask the simple question, what is the first thing he really says to us? He's lived this perfect life for 30 years. Now he's in the Jordan and he's baptized by his cousin John. Suddenly the Trinity is there. God the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Which means He's given Him His inheritance. God the Father, God the Son, who shows up next? God the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. Jesus is baptized, goes out into the wilderness, overcomes Satan attacks, telling Him it is written. Then He goes into the synagogue, and in Luke 4, what does He say? 
He says, today, these scriptures, the Isaiah scrolls, 750 years earlier approximately, are going to be fulfilled. Today, I'm here to tell you that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because He has anointed me to go and to proclaim and to preach. And if you want to know where you are in the text, go to Luke 4 and you're somewhere there. And then what Jesus does, He shows up to you and I, four fishermen who represent us on the side of the banks of the Jordan there. They're sitting off to the side, actually, the Sea of Galilee. And He shows up and what does He say? Matthew 4.18 By walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And He said to them, Follow Me, and I will what? Make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two more brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately, verse 22, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Pastor, I've heard this story. Maybe the four-year-olds are going through this story right now. And here's the fish and the net. And it's cute, right? No, this is radical. These guys are fishermen. Can they read and write? Do they have an eBay account? Do they own stocks? Do they have multiple businesses inheritance? No. The fact that they're a fisherman tells you they probably didn't master the first five books of the Bible before 12. They probably didn't master the whole of the Old Testament by the age of 13, 14, 15. No rabbi showed up and said, follow me. I'll make you a fisher's a man. Instead, they have a trade. And they're going to give this trade to their children. In fact, James and John are working there with their dad. But Jesus shows up and He says to them like He said to us when we came to faith, Brian, crazy story, I get it. Maybe I'll give you a few weeks, but you know what I want to do with this story? I want you to follow Me. I don't want you to fish for men. Why would they immediately do this? Because My sheep hear My voice and they follow Me. I want you to note His first words were, Follow Me, I'll make you fish as a men. Many verses later, we see in Matthew 22, 37, The scribes and Pharisees come to him and they try to challenge him. And they say, Preacher, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? And you know what he said, Amen? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Does this in any way to you resemble what he told the disciples first and foremost? He told them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he told the scribes and Pharisees, to seek first the kingdom, to put your trust in the Lord, to follow Him with all that you are. Amen? Amen. And to love your neighbor as yourself. He's telling them the exact same thing. Seek God first with soul and body and mind, and love your neighbor is the same thing as following Him and fishing for men. Why am I saying this to us today? Because in Christianity, the two are never separated. It isn't I'm following Him to get to heaven and forgetting about everyone else. It's that no... Jesus is now leading me as He led them for those three and a half years following Him and fishing for men. What's happened more recently though is because we're trying to figure out what Christianity is and I'm thankful we're in a church that can talk about the Gospel and repentance and heaven and hell as much as allowing the Holy Spirit to move and sing like He's right there in our midst. Amen? Amen. But the church has gotten sometimes seeker-friendly where we're saying, how do we fill seats rather than feeding sheep? How do we fill seats rather than challenging people to go to that crazy grandparent or crazy cousin or crazy boss and be willing to step out and share their faith? And you say, well, Brian, you're getting serious. I didn't hear the gospel for 24 years. And let me ask you this radical question. Is there anyone in this room who in the last month, someone you didn't know came up to you, stopped you in your life and shared the gospel with you? Anyone? Anyone in the last six months? I have to go somewhere where there's Christians normally for someone to share the gospel with me. And why I'm saying this is, guys, we see how the world is. We see how upside down it is. It's getting so crazy. I can think back to a few years ago when one random night when I was sick and had a fever. And you know what you should do when you're a Christian? You have a fever. Amen? You should order a pizza, right? No. I'm sick at home, feeling bad, and I say, babe, will you order a pizza, babe, you're sick, just, just order a pizza, babe, I'm not feeling too good, I don't know what I was thinking. And so she orders a pizza, and the pizza guy shows up, and as I go out to get it, my two little kids come out in their pajamas, this is a few years ago, and the pizza guy, as I open the door, 
He's about 40, 45, and his car's parked out there like a little gray Back to the Future car. You know, he's got some gray hairs, and he's, he's looking at me kind of funny. And as he sees my kids come out, he's like, oh, I notice you have kids. I'm guaranteeing none of you have ever ordered a pizza when you have a fever. Amen? But what happened next is even crazier. He said, oh, you have kids? Do they like dinosaurs? Anyone ever been asked that by the pizza guy before? No. He said, do they like dinosaurs? And I go, well, yes. And he says, have you ever heard of the museum in Florida? The Creation Museum. Do you guys know where I'm going with this? I know where this guy was going. In a fever, not feeling too good. I probably didn't even eat the pizza anyway. But as that guy knocked on the door and asked me this question, in the back of my head, I said, Ken Hovind. And in my heart, I said, I'm the evangelist. Who does this guy think he is? Do you mean Kent Hovind? And the guy looked at me. And he says, yes. Do you know the Lord? In the middle of my life and my day, some 45-year-old guy was showing up who probably couldn't care less about a pizza. Amen? It's great to have a portfolio, but I don't know that that was his focus. He probably prayed over every slice of that pizza. He was willing to witness to me before I wrote him the check, so I know he probably didn't care about that. And we need those things as well. God is an abundant God, but I'm saying, as I took that pizza from him after being so blessed and walked to the house, I was in tears thinking, this guy is out here, not alone with the Holy Spirit, amen, eager to share with me. Isn't God good? Here's the crazy part. That's the last guy that's knocked on my door and shared the gospel with me. Mormons have knocked on the door. Jehovah Witnesses have knocked on the door. I'm not telling you you've got to go to everyone's house in the city and clear their snow and tell them about Jesus. But what I'm saying is, that's a crazy thought to me. When you think about what the gospel is, so many people that are sharing it, not in the name of Jesus. The cult and other practices are out there doing so many things, but for you and I, God has told you and me in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in what? No one else. There's no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we know that Romans 1 and verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's not what I'm saying to us. But he tells us, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. There's many things we can do that are loving, but it's actually the gospel that changes souls. And when I say the gospel, what does that mean? It's not some Bible word. It just means the good news. But if we're honest, how many times do we feel like it's sometimes bad news? I don't want to tell this person. They'll think I'm weird. I don't want to tell this. I mean, the preacher sounds bold on the stage with a room full of Christians, but let's see how he is when he goes out there. What is the gospel? It's the truth. It's the truth, and here's how practical it is. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Paul writes to us, to that church and us today. He says, brothers and sisters, church, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you then received and on which you have taken your stand. It is by this gospel that you have been saved. What gospel, Paul? Explain it. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. What is it, though, Paul? Verse 3. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. The Christ, here it is, died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. He appeared to Caiaphas and then to the Twelve. The Gospel is that Jesus lived, died, rose again for our sins. And He's in heaven today. And everyone that hears this message can have eternal life because of Jesus. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and God so loved the world that He sent Jesus. But here's the idea. God doesn't just have us here today to hear this. This is like a gas station where we get to worship and get blessed and hear whatever's on pastor's heart or whatever word you have, whatever's going on. And now we take this and we push this out. Why is this important? Because this is a true story. When I was dead in sin, didn't know Jesus, I went into some of those skate companies where my shoe was selling, where my board was shelling, and I was telling human beings, I'm depressed, I'm divorced, I don't want to live, I'm over it. And some of the advice was, well, go get drunk. Go meet some girl. Go get stoned. And after coming to faith, going back to share with some of those people, I was amazed at some of those same people. You know what they said to me? It's cool, bro. I'm a Christian. It's cruel, Bo. I believe that. 
I'm not saying that to judge or condemn, but what I'm saying is, what would you do, what would I do, if someone came to you with all their problems? Would we realize that we are the ones set apart with the Holy Spirit? We are the ones who walk in the truth. We are the ones in the power. We are the chosen generation. We are royal and set apart. Amen? Amen. It isn't just because we go to church. The living Christ is who lives inside of us. And in fact, we know this. Revelation 19.10, one of my favorite verses, says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I begin to share my story, and the Holy Spirit's present. You begin to talk about the Scriptures, and God begins to move. Guys, we're not waiting on the Holy Spirit anymore. He showed up 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen? He's the one waiting on us. The Bible says you and I are living epistles and letters read by all men. Well, it's easy for you, Brian. You're a preacher. How many amazing women in here with crazy stories that are on the street with me? I'd be quiet and say, Sister, go ahead and speak. Share what God did in your life. Share what God's doing this week. Share what He did five years ago. Sing that song. Pour it out. Begin to share. Why? Because Proverbs 29:18 says this. People are perishing for lack of vision and knowledge. I didn't have it for 24 years. I didn't have it. Well, God, I've got it now. I once was lost and now I'm what? Found. I once was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Jesus. But what about everyone else? Remember that movie? That movie with the creepy kid at the time? What was it called? The Sixth Sense? I see dead people. When you go out in the world, look at everyone and say, do I see dead people? Because if they're not in Christ, you know what they are? They're dead. Do I see dead people? James says, life is a vapor. I say, thank you, Jesus. I came to hang out with my church family. It's been a blessing. We're encouraged today. But what about everyone else's vapor? Guys, we look for divine appointments all the time, but you know our divine appointments are from the moment you came to faith until the moment you die. Every day is a divine appointment. Amen. Think about this. How many of you guys are in full-time ministry? I love asking the church this. How many of you guys are Christian? Oh, that's how many of us are in full-time ministry. Amen? Guys, if we would believe the things about God that we believe from the devil, or we believe from this world, Jesus Christ Himself, the Holy Spirit's power, through Peter says, you are a chosen generation. You are royal. You are holy. When I go into Starbucks, there's a priest there. When you go into work, there's a prophet there. Wherever you go, the power and the presence of God. I don't care how crazy your in-laws are, mostly known as the outlaws. Amen? The power of God is present. If it raised our Savior from the dead, He's sitting right there in the seats inside of you and me. And here's the crazy thing. I love saying this. Someone came up with many years ago that you and I are immortal until God is done with us. There's exactly enough time. You say, Pastor, there's not enough time in the day. There's exactly enough time in every day for your gifting and your calling to make sense and for God to use you. And I don't mean be religious. I don't mean tally up everyone you went and confronted. I mean get to know the Lord's rhythms in your life and the may He wants to use you. Why? Because in Mark 1 and 15, Jesus said something radical. He said, the time has come. And the kingdom as God has come near. And we say, this is amazing. Thank you, Jesus. The time has come. The kingdom has come near. What does that mean? He also goes on in this verse and he says, what I want you to do is to repent and believe the gospel. We say that word repent and sometimes we're afraid to say it. What does it mean? I wasn't a Jew raised. I didn't come from that nation. That tribe. When I seen the word repent as a skateboarder, I don't know what you're telling me. But when you see the word repent in the Scripture, Matthew 3 and 1, the Bible says John the Baptist came preaching. What did he preach? Repent. Well, that's John. He's hairy and smelly. He lived in the woods. I don't want to be like that guy. Okay, I'll give you that. Well, then John dies. Who shows up? Jesus in Matthew 4:17. From that time that John died, Jesus went about preaching. What did he preach? Repent. Well, he's the Messiah. Of course he's going to preach repentance. Peter the Apostle who denied Jesus three times is filled with the Spirit, the power of God. They all speak in tongues and all of those outside the window say, all these guys are drunk, listen to them. And Peter says, we're not drunk like you suppose, but this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. Amen? And they said, preach. And he began to preach and tell them. And the Bible says they were cut to the heart and they said, preacher, I'm paraphrasing, what must we do? And he said, repent. One of the craziest verses in the Bible, Acts 17.30, In the past God overlooked our sin and ignorance, but now He's commanded all people everywhere to what? Repent. 
Guys, it's the good news. It's not the bad news. It's the good news. People were afraid to share it with me. And you say, what does that mean? It means when Jesus was sitting on the mount, on the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if you lose your flavor, you'll be trodden underfoot by men. It doesn't say by Satan. When I went into that skate company and I was upside down in my life, were they intimidated because I was one of the pros and perhaps millions of dollars were coming in? Was it the graphic guy or a mom or whoever? I'm not saying that to judge him, saying, man, if someone came into my life and someone's going to come into your life, especially after this sermon, amen, God's going to have all your crazy friends text you today and you're going to get to share and see them transformed. But here's the idea. There's a leading atheist today and one of his arguments against you and I, which it doesn't matter. Christ's good. But he says this to discredit Christianity. If they really believed what they said they do, the people were dead in sin. How unloving is it of those not to share the gospel with us? He's not saying that to condemn us. Yes, he's saying it to judge us. But for me, I get it. Because if you say, well, Brian, he's saying everyone better be just like you. I have a hard time sharing the gospel. And I'm preaching about it all the time. Why don't we want to proclaim sometimes? Why don't we want to share sometimes? Because we don't want to offend. We don't want to put off. We don't want to create division, you see. It's one thing to write a check to another nation and hope someone's out there sharing. It's one thing to tell someone online. But when I'm working in a cubicle with you for the next five years, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. That is tough, amen? When you're talking to your scientific uncle who has it all figured out and you don't know what to say, you have to step out. Like Pastor said, God, the Holy Spirit, will meet you where you are. You see, when you share the gospel and you step out, we're in need of something, some kind of comfort. What's his name? The comfort of the Holy Spirit. We're in need of help. When you follow him and fish for men, there's two things that always happen when you share. Because Isaiah 55:11 says, The word of the Lord goes out, and it never what? Returns void. They will hear, they will respond, or you will sow a seed, and sadly, even some of their hearts may be hardened. People say, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Sure he did, but he preached to him about the plagues many, many times, and he didn't respond to it. We've got to be able to share and to go. And can you imagine this crazy thought? Imagine if Jesus himself never shared the gospel. Why are you feeding these 5,000 people? You don't even know them. No reason. Why are you walking on water? Well, surfboards don't exist yet. What are you doing on that cross? No reason. Leave me alone. No. He shared with 12 people and one of them bailed on him. And the whole world is flips upside down. A crazy skateboarder like me coming to faith. It went through the disciples, the apostles, the Caucasus Mountains, to England, revival to America, and he's sitting in your church today in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to take it out into the community. Amen? Amen. When pastor shares about the community and so many people are unchurched out there, who is God going to use? A room full of faithful believers like you. He's going to begin to stir you up and pastor's going to deposit mighty things into you. Sitting in travailing prayer, using your gifts and talents, wanting all the glory to be upon us so that they can see us in the world. And you say, well, Brian, couldn't you give a message that was more of a blessing? Of course I could. Here's some of the verses that we read about blessing. Luke 6, 22. Blessed are you. Okay, preach it, Pastor. Blessed are you when people what? Wait, wait, wait. Let me check. It's in there. <laughs> Put your Bible down. Don't throw that thing at me. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when you spare your name. As evil. Why? On account of what? The Son of Man. Not because we're foolish and we're rude and we're self-righteous. But because of the Son of Man, we don't really have this kind of persecution. There's more of a political persecution going on in this nation. I never noticed politics that I really came to America. Luke 21:16, You will be delivered up even by your parents, by brothers, by relatives, by friends. Some of you will be put to death. You'll be hated by all for what? My name's sake. It's not because of us. It's because the world doesn't want him, the world doesn't know him, and we begin to share. How many Muslims today are coming to faith who hate Christians, who, are, who view us as infidel, who couldn't care less, and Jesus gets a hold of them, and they flip their world upside down. Amen? Amen? Not a hair on your head will perish. How does that make sense? Well, the Bible says no weapon formed against us will prosper. Yet all the disciples, aside from John, were killed with weapons. 
Even Jesus was killed with a torture device. Amen? What he's saying is that spiritually your faith is secure, but whatever they do to you in this life, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen? Even the Acts of the Apostles in Acts 5.41, the Apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for what? The name of Jesus. You see, in culture today, there's many people doing many great things. When there's a disaster around the world, Muslims, different faiths, atheists, all kinds of witnesses will show up. And Christians will show up. But if it's not in the name of Jesus, no matter what you can do for someone to prolong their life, ultimately, it is not going to matter for eternity. All the amazing things Mother Teresa did. How many millions of dollars someone like Bono donates to great causes. If it's not in the name of Jesus, it cannot transform a heart. Amen. The power is simply within you. You haven't got to be on a stage. You haven't got to have a big following. You haven't got to be more than you are. God knew right where you would be this day with the blessings He's bestowed upon you, the gifting and calling, and with all of our issues. Amen? He does things in spite of us because He gets glory. Paul the Apostle was all over the place. His story reads crazy. Thank you, Paul, for writing that. And there's this great myth, too, that Jesus always took all this time to get to know people before He shared. And yes... He lived 30 years with relatives and friends and didn't get too deep into his identity. Sure, his mother knew and other people, but once the Spirit of God was upon him, Luke writes, and throughout the book of Acts, we hear of Jesus sharing with people that day. Imagine waiting to share the gospel for six months with someone you loved, and they might pass away in the fifth month. I shared at a skate park one day, and there was this kid that was there I'd never met in the middle of Indianapolis somewhere, and he was a train wreck struggling with life. He came to the event. He passed away two days later. And the day after, someone put a photo up of the event. And at the end of the event, I got to share the gospel, and there was about 30 kids, and he had a red hat on that day. You know where he was? He was in the front right there. Imagine if that event wasn't put on. Imagine if the pastor of that church didn't say, let's do more for the kingdom. Imagine if people weren't willing to go that day. I believe he prayed that prayer and God did a work and he's in heaven today because I got messages from his parents saying, praise God that God is faithful. Amen? Amen. But he had to use a skater. He had to use a skate park. He had to use you wherever you work and whatever you do. And the Bible says in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord. Whatever we do, the social gospel of loving people, I get it, it is good, but it needs to also be in word. And that famous quote that's ascribed to Francis of Assisi, which many say is not, and you've heard it, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, what? Use words. The idea is, I'm already living as a Christian. So when I confess my faith, and I begin to live it, you're going to see it. What he's not saying is don't talk about Jesus because if he is, he's heretical. We know this because Romans 10.14 says, How will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without hearing the gospel? Well, they won't because Brian doesn't. And so it's one thing to proclaim the word, but what does it mean to live it? Travel in America, these last few years especially. I was in Detroit a few years ago when there was a, a girl that came up to us. I shared this story yesterday. After a big skate event, I actually think it might have been at Jeremy Camp's church, his dad's church or whatever, and he wasn't there at the time. And the girl's like, would you mind signing something on my arm? And as she put her arm out from her elbow to her wrist, what do you think was there? Non-stop. Track marks, cuts, everything. It was crazy. And I got a hold of her arm and I thought, is she showing me this because she needs help? Or is she just so numb she didn't even notice it? Putting my arm around her, inviting the youth pastor over, someone that went to that church... What would you tell her? The same night, a kid who was an all-star in track and his dad had passed away, he's freaking out. What do you tell him? A few nights later in San Jose, this tiny skinny girl with green hair at the end of a youth service. Would you pray for me? I got in a fight a few months ago with my mom and my own mother took a knife out of the kitchen drawer and put it into my side and fled. Getting into a fight a few weeks later and her dad had put her head into a window What do you tell that girl? You know what I began to pray and say, Lord, what do I tell all these people I meet who are suicidal, who don't know you? You know the verse? The verse is simple and you all know it. It's Ephesians 2.10. Do you want to know who you are? Why you woke up today? Why you have breath? Why there's blood flowing through you? Because you and I are God's workmanship. 
Not we might be, not we're trying to be. You are His workmanship. You've been created in Christ Jesus, oh why, Lord, to do good works. We're not saved by Him. But now He's deposited this power in us. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God has prepared these in advance. What it means is, if no one ever sits in these nice new chairs, they're missing their identity. If I never use this pulpit to preach or drink this water, it's missing its potential. And I get so many preachers are preaching motivational messages, but you want to motivate the church, tell them, you're His workmanship. These instruments are made to glorify God. Your voices are meant to proclaim His truth. Those kids and you and I, we are His workmanship. And as we live this out, indeed, it will transform lives. The generation above me, 40, 50, or 60, I think you might have had it easier than the generation below us, if we're honest, amen, because you still lived in somewhat Bible times. The same we're living in post-Christian times right now, so you were able to talk about the Bible and preach the truth, but for my generation and below me, it's getting different. We can't just have youth services that's basically a disco with no swearing, amen? Don't sleep together, don't get stoned, no, 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 they need to hear the truth. They need to hear the gospel. They need to look different on the baseball field. Yes, we're called to be in the well, but not called to be what? Of it. Think about Daniel, one of my favorite books. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or their better names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Amen? They're taken in exile for 70 years to Babylon. It's like taking you today and placing you in Iraq or some radical nation. It was satanic and occult. The things they wore, the eyeliner, the food was offered to gods. Were they going to live in a nation and party like the world, live like the world, do all the things the world did, and just say, well, I've got grace. God's good. Or were they going to say, God, I want to use this grace to stand on your promises? Daniel was in the worst place you could have been. I have two kids and I think, man, life is crazy. What is it going to be like? And God always brings me back to these verses. The Bible says of Daniel, when that world tried to get in him and feed him things and corrupt who he was, he knew who he was. And it says, Daniel purposed in his heart. It said, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine he drank. This isn't legalism. I'm just saying, when we take who Christ is and we live in who Christ is, and listen guys, this is when you fail. This is when you miss it. This is when you need to repent. And we need to confess. Amen. It's when you're going through it like Paul did in Romans 6 and 7 and 8. The things I will to do, I don't do. This is an example to them. Because what would it look like if my son's generation, my generation, even the generation older, which most of the time I see in church, I'm so thankful. Once you hit 60, 70, 80, you're in church. I want to learn some stuff from you. Amen. But what if this next generation, which I believe is going to happen in America, I believe it looks that way. What if we purposed in our hearts to stand for Him in word and deed, as the salt and the light, as His workmanship? And why am I saying this? I'll close with a few thoughts and then we'll pray. Jesus showed up and His first words were, follow me, I'll make you fish as a man. And He showed Him how to do it. Raised the dead, cast out demons, healed the sick, preached and loved and fed the 5,000, did many things. He died and rose again and they were all freaking out. What is going on? Where is Jesus? What's going to happen? I thought He was the Messiah. Weren't we going to stone Rome? Weren't we going to take over? Guys, let's be realistic here. We're all freaking out in the park, sitting in the snow going, where's the Messiah? And Jesus shows up with the wounds and the scars. You can look in His face. You can lay your head upon His chest. Here He is. Here's Jesus. He's risen. I mean, aside from Lazarus, who else is raised from the dead? And Jesus shows up and they go, okay, what's the plan? What's the plan, Pastor? What's the plan, Rabbi? What's the plan, Prophet? And here's what Jesus says, Matthew 28, 18. It says, Jesus came to them, resurrected Jesus now in power. And He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Alright guys, this is going to be good. What's the plan? The first plan was following fish for men. Didn't sound too interesting. What are you going to say now? After all authority in heaven and earth, what do you want us to do? Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in what? The name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you went and they killed you and it wasn't too good. I don't think my going is going to work out very good. I want you to go. Do you guys know what the word go in the Greek means? Do you have a lexicon or what? It means go. All he said is, guys, follow me and fish for men. Oh, I died and rose again. All I want you to do 
is keep following me and fishing for men. If Jesus walked in here right now, how many guys would forget everything I said and go follow him wherever he went? Amen? Please say yes, because I'm a fool compared to him. That is not going to happen. But you know what's so radical that we miss? Jesus said, it's better that I don't walk in here. It's better that I don't sit with you. It's better that I actually go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send someone else. Who am I going to send? The Holy Spirit. Because if Jesus comes in here, he's getting on the flight with me tomorrow, and we're going to California. Sorry, guys. When the Holy Spirit's here, he's staying with every one of us. He's called us all to go, and it's a passive verb. It doesn't mean you have to go to Africa, or England, or the Sudan. It means go to Starbucks, go next door, go wherever you're going. I read a book recently that said the best place to evangelize someone is after you've brought them to church and you go eat with them and they say, man, that guy's accent was funny. Man, he talked about hell a lot. Man, what do you think about this? You get more gospel shared when you're sitting with people that you invite and I would challenge you, step out and do it because God has a responsibility. Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am also sending you. And that we are to be not hearers but only doers. Do you know why the Great Commission is so powerful? And this was the whole heart of the marriage session. When I'm living the Great Commission, I haven't got time for drugs. I haven't got time for embezzlement. I haven't got time for affairs. I haven't got time for bitterness. When you live the Great Commission, you haven't got time. You're busy pastoring. You're busy worshiping. You're busy doing whatever you do in word and deed. This is the thing. We're called to have compassion like Jesus did. We need to be able to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I would encourage you to do in a practical sense, get to know your testimony. Go home. Write it down. What did God do? What was the verse that saved me? How does the Holy Spirit work? Share it with yourself on the way to work. Talk to yourself in the mirror. Get to know your story so the power of God is there. And here's the final thought. The purpose of evangelism is only successful if people are bridged into the church. I can go out and cast the net everywhere and God does the saving, but we are the ones who make disciples. Amen? We're the ones who bring them in and we do the washing and the cleaning. Jesus' power is on them and we go to help them through all their chaos. Let's bow our heads for a moment, you guys, and we're wrapping up. I was to ask you today, if you knew that Jesus is coming back in seven days, how would you live? Not that He is, but what if you were to pass in seven days? Have you shared with everyone around you? What if that person that you love was to pass in seven days if they heard the gospel? Maybe you walk in here today and you said, man, this guy said so much stuff, but who I'm talking about is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Maybe there's someone in here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're distant. You're riding on your grandparents' faith. You feel amiss with God. Maybe there's sin and you just can't forgive yourself and praise God. You can't do that. Only Jesus can do it. He went to the cross 2,000 years ago for you and me, shed His blood, died and rose again, proving His love for you and me. And that's the grace of God. And if you walked in here today without God, I want to invite you to say, Lord, I need you. I want to invite you to say, God, I need to get right with you. If I was to die today, I'm a breath away from heaven or hell, and God gives you the free gift of eternal life. I cried out in 2004, my life has never been the same, and He's here and present speaking to you. We raise our hands for so many other things. A free this or a free that. But today, Jesus is speaking to you. I want to pray for those in just a moment like this. And I also want to pray in a moment for those who say, Lord, use me as your workmanship. Lose me as your salt and light. Use me as your word to go out into the world and live intentionally for you. If you're in here today and you say, God, i got to get right with you. I want to leave some stuff in this church building before the throne, before the cross, for grace and mercy on this beautiful and snowy day. If that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus, repent and cry out. Would you raise up your hand as an act of faith on the count of three? One, two, three.